Thank you for tuning in to Art to Heart, where we delve into the creative minds of the artists in the Fort Wayne area. Each episode sheds light on the thoughts, feelings, and backgrounds of the artisans who bring pizzazz to Fort Wayne. Tune in for tips on tapping into your creative soul and for more information about upcoming events in the arts community. I am here with the conductor and founder of Heartland Sings, maestro Robert Nance. Heartland Sings is a nonprofit company of professional vocal artists and ensembles residing in Fort Wayne, Indiana. Consisting of five full-time vocal artists, 24 part-time vocal artists, and 80-plus volunteer vocalists. Heartland creates a number of diverse programs and productions, including small jazz ensemble performances, opera and musical theater programs, educational and community outreach events, and large-scale choral orchestral productions. Robert Nance has vision and determination, which he shows both as a musician and a businessman. Let's get started so we can learn more about Maestro and his fascinating organization. When did the idea to create Heartland Sings first come to you? It actually happened before I moved to Fort Wayne. Hmm. Um, I've been in Fort Wayne now for 27 years. I was in Virginia, and I had my first job as an accompanist with the professional community chorus. In fact, it it started out as a community-based amateur chorus, and the board of directors at the time uh, asked what I thought about starting another group from within that would Mm. be more available, and what would that look like? And I said, well, if you paid them, I think that would probably be a great thing, and it would actually help to generate. So I was already thinking about that. Right about the same time, right after starting that group, I landed a job here in Fort Wayne. Uh, I was at First Presbyterian Church as their minister of music. Mm -hmm. Uh, I accepted that job and had to leave that seed behind, but obviously I carried the ideas with me. So I was pretty much ensconced in the work. Uh, First Presbyterian has a great cultural outreach, and uh, it was one of those things where I needed to concentrate on that. But all along, I continued to see that there was this paradox in the music field. And that paradox was instrumental musicians could garner a full-time, pretty decent job and a salary in their chosen field. But vocalists as musicians could not. Uh, I would say they're about 60 years behind the instrumental profession in cultivating a full-time job and work outside of educational institutions and things like that. But they pay for the same education. They Mm -hmm. have the same education by and large. So the question is, why haven't we cultivated that that side of it? Right. So right about 1997, uh, an opportunity came before me where a local group known as Opus 18 had sort of ended its life cycle. And it was uh, ripe for maybe a, a revitalization or a change. And I was asked if I would be interested in taking on that particular work. And I said, yes and no. I said (laughs) I was not interested in continuing what they had been doing, but more interested in starting something new. Right. And so at that that moment or that juxtaposition was a perfect opportunity to change the, the work that they had been doing using their charter and starting brand new, founding this new concept of a paid vocal professional group. So that's when it started in 97. So it's been, it's been cooking um, <laughs> for a good 30 years, I would think. And uh, it didn't really get any traction until 1997 when we started. 
and it didn't get some serious vetting until five years later when we started a business plan task force. How are we going to sustain Heartland mm -hmm. for the future? Because it's clear that with uh, donors being the only source of underwriting to do our operation mm -hmm. and ticket sales being what they are, uh, which are pitiful. And it's not that we don't have audiences. It's the value of that ticket price mm -hmm. is so terribly low versus the cost of doing the production. Exactly. So the question is, why is that? That's when we started looking at the whole issue. And what we discovered was when you have a nonprofit organization, you usually attract donors and donors surround the organization to support them. It's a, it's a natural magnetism. If they value your mission, they're going to come in and they're going to support you with their dollars. So I asked the natural question, if, if donors are attracted to your mission, who is the company that's supporting that mission going to pay attention to? The donors. Mm -hmm. And over time, there becomes some insulation. And insulation from what? Insulation from what's going on in the marketplace. So nonprofit law has been around for, what, 60, maybe close to 70 years now. Mm -hmm. And in that time, the for-profit industry has been ear to the rail. They have been watching and paying attention to what the public will pay for. Right. Whereas those insulated by donors who were supporting the art form helped the organization continue, but not to pay attention to the marketplace. Mm -hmm. So what we have done in our business plan, and we're hoping that this is something that others can adopt, we're still in the process of proving that it works. Mm -hmm. And we are confident that the way things are going, it will. Uh, so talk to me again in another 18 months, <laughs> and I'll let you know how it's going. But if the theory is true, by taking the donors and partnering with them, in other words, having them behind us as we move into the marketplace, we're going to work a little smarter. We're going to actually sell the products that we can sell in the open market and then transfer their support to do what makes good business sense, and that's to develop new audiences through education and supporting young students who want to enter the field as a career. Uh, and the more you do that, the more there's an understanding about how choral music or vocal music as a art form really helps people, whether you're an amateur or professional. There's a lot of internal benefit to being a singer or oh, listening to singing right just well you know the creative process mm -hmm. you're you're a dancer you know exactly what i'm talking about these are transferable it's not unique to, to singing mm -hmm. um, i would argue that singing because it is so internal mm -hmm. just like dance uh, it's very personal and everybody can do it mm -hmm. uh, not everybody can sit at the piano and actually make the music that they would like to right or a violin so when you're when you're doing an extension of of your body mm -hmm. in another instrument that takes some time to, you know, kind of assimilate mm -hmm. a response. But as a vocal musician, as a dancer or, you know, things that are kinetically within, right. um, you can actually assimilate um, a sense of creativity and, and that as a creative outlet, that's good. Drawing, for example, mm -hmm. you know, there are things you can do now, the output, <laughs> we can talk about Whether that. Whether it's this. good or not. Well, that's right. Yeah. But who who's to judge? Exactly. I mean, it really, it's in the eyes of the beholder. Mm -hmm. It's the process that is good for people. So, you know, to focus on the business side of what we're trying to do, mm -hmm. the idea has been gestating in my mind that the artist is important and we need to equalize the playing field in the music career. That was 30 years ago. 1997, 20 years ago, we were able to start that here with that synergy of one group dying and another one adopting my new vision yeah. for an ensemble. And then within five years of that, now that 15 years ago, 
we began to study very hard how to sustain this operation where earned income would be the focus versus donor income. The nice thing is, if you're focused on earning income in the marketplace, you're going to grow a larger donor base. If the cycle can begin, then you're actually going to increase the number of donors and the potential donors and share the mission. I think of a number of uh, for-profit performing groups who have started foundations after the fact. Hmm. who get a lot of energy and momentum simply because they're in the market and they're dealing with a larger base of fans to contribute to that. Right. So it's logical to assume that as we grow our earned income, so will the donor income. Mm-hmm. Again, the proof will be in the in the dollars when we see how things work over the next two or three years of our business plan. Right. And as Fort Wayne continues to grow, I'm sure mm-hmm. that will directly mm-hmm. affect you. Yeah. We don't build our business just in Fort Wayne. We're headquartered here. We will have to travel within a 225-mile radius of Fort Wayne, but that's all within a day's drive, yeah. and um, we can avoid one of the pitfalls of being an, an artist is if you want to make a living as an independent artist, sometimes you have to live out of a suitcase a significant number of weeks out of the year, yes. and it's, di- it's very hard on uh, families. Um, so if you have artists who are perfectly capable of performing, wanting to raise families or having more of a, I would say traditional, I'm not sure what that means anymore, but uh, more of a, I'd like to live in one place and have a home and a mortgage and my two children and a husband and a wife, you know, that kind of thing. I want that structure for myself. I want, Mm -hmm. I I need to be a homebody artist. Then this type of plan would work well uh, simply because that's what we're doing. We have those artists living right here and affecting the lives of the people they live with. Mm Um, artists who travel have their home base as well, but if they're traveling 200 days out of the year, they're spreading their talent around, but they're not necessarily having the effect on that community long term. Correct. They have a momentary minute of entertainment, maybe encouragement of those artists who live there. Mm-hmm. So the traveling artist is still a valuable thing. For example, we're bringing in a group from Sweden known as the Real Group. Oh, awesome. They're a five-member vocal a cappella group, been in business for over 30 years. And uh, really outstanding artists, but they do live out of suitcases 260 days a year. That's so hard. It is very hard. (laughs) They talk about the difficulty of being on the road for that length of time and what it, I guess, the impact on their family life and their personal lives and uh, and their artistry. Mm -hmm. So they're starting to transition new members in and they're finding that that, that's not going to be sustainable long term. So they're also looking at what do they do to maintain a stable lifestyle, one that uh, enriches them as well as the, the audiences that come to them. So I think we're on to something with our business model that is something that I would love to see adopted all over the country. Oh, I have yeah. no vested interest in protecting it in any mm-hmm. way. I, I just think it's a model that we should value simply because it means that artists can live in our communities mm-hmm. and, and compete. Exactly. That's what makes them better. So competing uh, in an open marketplace for entertainment dollars is a great way to grow your business. So it's sort of the best of both worlds. You know, we want to be socially conscious as a community, but from a libertarian point of view, we also want to let people compete in the open marketplace and feel like they are aware of the needs of, of the community and that they are allowed to have the freedom to expand on their expression as they see fit. So it's a, I, it's a great model. Right? And yeah. 
I've been very impressed from it from day one. One of my goals with this podcast is to show that it is possible to be a full-time artist and that artists are just as influential in our community as doctors and accountants. And obviously that's near and dear to your heart as well. Can you talk about some of the strides you have made with Heartland Sings and why Northeast Indiana is so lucky to have this organization? Oh my gosh, they are lucky um, because we have produced, I think on average, 10 concerts a year since we started. I would say on average because it's been more some years, less others. When we first started, I think we had three concert productions in the first year, but then our budget was only 17000 Yeah. <laughs> in another year, our budget will push a million dollars. So oh, wow. it's, it's, a, it's a different ball game oh, altogether. Yes. I think one of the reasons Northeast Indiana is lucky is because we do have a rich cultural environment, and especially mm-hmm. in Allen County. You look at the Fort Wayne Philharmonic, you've got our museums, you've got the Ballet Company, you've got ArtLink, you've got Dance Collective, Fort Wayne Children's Choir, Heartland Sings, Voices of Unity, you know, the list goes on. These are vibrant groups contributing to the cultural life. I just think that's that's great. Mm -hmm. What's different about Heartland is that we are really trying to revolutionize the structure so that it is more sustainable. And, you know, in my view, unless you have a lot of donors and foundations and endowments to help just to sustain basic operation, which limits programming, by the way, Mm -hmm. if most of your money is going to underwrite artists and the operation, that's before the production actually goes to the stage where you can actually sell some tickets. So there are some challenges that everybody faces on that front. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and they're all different. So I don't mean to compare apples and oranges, but I think just as a structure, if we can change the way we do business, then you can increase income because you're being competitive and you're going into a, maybe a larger performance marketplace to see if you can earn more money and more cash to get there. Northeast Dana is lucky to have us because we are trying to figure out ways to maybe improve upon the nonprofit model for mm-hmm. performing artists because that's the only way we see out of the difficulties that will be forever here until we overcome them. In our own city of Fort Wayne, the census showed of 120 musicians who elected to say they were musicians and they all had salaries that were documented to be right at the poverty line, which in Fort Wayne is about 17.5 roughly. So that was an eye-opener because I know there are more than 120 musicians uh, operating. uh, So that means there are a lot of artists who are freelancing Mm -hmm. because the reality is they can't do better than live at the poverty line. So most of the artists in our community make the sacrifice to work outside of their field of interest in order to make it possible for them to do what they're passionate about. I think that's sad But I think that, on the other hand, somebody has to start the conversation. Mm -hmm. And that's a broader conversation than what Heartland can tackle. But in my leadership with Heartland, I made it a mission for us to focus on valuing the artist and the art on an equal plane. So if you value the art, you cannot separate the artist from them. Therefore, we pay the artist professionally to enhance the art form. That's the basis of our mission and why we've created a business plan that includes career artists who can sort of generate income because we can now sell product. They're ready to go at a drop of a hat virtually, Mm -hmm. and we can then begin to work like the entertainment field does 
on the for-profit entertainment field has artists that are ready to go with productions. That's what we're doing. We now have artists who are ready to go with various productions that we can sell in the open marketplace. So now we're more effective as a business, therefore the income should follow that help underwrite our basic operation. And then the donors that we ask to partner with us are more partners rather than us being dependent upon them to operate. We now have some independence of operation and we can now ask donors to partner with us to do educational programming. So it's a better model. You have to be a nonprofit to do this model because you want to be able to, as a public trust, channel donor monies to underscore the kinds of development that you need to do to maintain the art form. And that's education, uh, informational events, civic events, things that you do for the betterment of the community, but you don't sell that. Mm -hmm. That's just good cultural responsibility for us as a business. We are so uniquely different because of this plan that we're actually able to hire people and provide them not only with a salary that is well above poverty line. I mean, I'm paying pretty decent salary and package for singers that is in the mid to high 30s. That's great. And that's, yeah, again, hopefully that's sustainable mm -hmm. long term, but that's, yeah. that's your package. I would love to be able to pay them more as we grow, but as the company grows, that's in the plan to do that. Other companies that exist at the professional level are paying singers on a contract basis. So you may get with an opera company and you will have a season contract and they'll pay X number of dollars and it could be quite good, mm -hmm. but then it ends. Yes. And in most cases, it is not a package that would include your insurance and your retirement. That's up to you to do as an independent artist. And if any of you out there listening know what it's like to be independent or self-employed, it's very expensive. You pay oh, yeah. all of your social security, you pay all of your insurance, you pay everything. It's all part of your responsibility. And it's not possible to be part of a group. You have to pay, generally speaking, depending on your situation, you pay the highest possible rate that's out there. Mm -hmm. And uh, if you're a successful business person, your health expenses and retirement expenses are going to be quite high. And when you can create a business atmosphere where you've got a collective and you've got more than a few people together and you can maybe find a better plan, I think you know, just working on that basis makes it possible to offer a better plan all the way around. So it's good for these artists because we're covering some of those as part of our budget. Mm -hmm. and, and that is a benefit to them, which they would not have otherwise. Right. Do you have any big milestones you wish to accomplish in the next five years, either personally or with the organization? Well, one would be to prove that our plan is successful. Mm -hmm. We have a very good board of directors. They do not rubber stamp anything that the management team does. They, they really look at it with scrutiny, and this was by design. Working with the governance committee of the board has been very helpful in understanding how to cultivate a board that will take seriously the plan, you know, understanding what the plan is about, and then hold us accountable. So uh, in that balance of power, if you will, or that balance of focus, we've got some good business leaders, people who have uh, built businesses before and understand the challenges and the expectations and the kinds of markers you have to have in your plan in order to know if a change of direction is necessary. And they're very subtle, sometimes very dramatic. Mm. So we have a plan and one that has been uh, chiseled on for a number of years. And uh, 
the the folks who are involved uh, on the board really have held us to the focus on the plan. So I think we're well served by that because mm-hmm. that means if if things are not growing the way we've projected, then we uh, you know, roll up our sleeves and look a little mm-hmm. closer at uh, what didn't work the way we thought it was going to work. What information can we gather to you know change directions and be, and make it more effective? So it's not like we're just set it in motion and don't do anything for three years and see if we succeed because we would lose in that plan. Right. So about every three to six months, of course, every month we're looking at the way dollars are going, mm-hmm. but every three to six months there is a, a reckoning. How is it going? Does it look like we're having the rise? Are we getting the the bites in the marketplace that we expect? Are the sales starting to take hold? All of that sort of thing. Yeah. So, yeah, that would be one milestone. The other would be at some point that a recording that our new full-timers pull together would actually garner some attention, you know, let's think big, let's get a Grammy nomination. Oh, wow. Um, That'd be fun. (laughs) Right. The part of our plan, I think, which is crucial to our success is to have a location where we actually can do our work. Right. So, you know, the business plan calls for us to be regularly recording, Mm -hmm. doing some video, having studio space, uh, you know, a place to interface with audience. And where are you currently recording at? (laughs) It just depends. Uh, most mm-hmm. of them are in live spots, nice. uh, which is, it's possible. Yeah. We rent various places around town. We're on the campus at St. Francis, mm-hmm. have been since 2008, but we've totally outgrown the little bungalow that they have <laughs> given us very generously. They, right. Um, the university, of course, is growing too. And, um, you know, we've been a happy part of their outreach. The thing is that at this point, we're not sure where we're going to move uh, because of our operation. I think that, that uh, we will go on having a great relationship with St. Francis. But as we continue to grow, it, our independence is, you know, we're going to have to break loose of that kind of support and uh, have our own building. So I think right. that the next milestone of the three I've mentioned, the, the probably the biggest one is having a space that uh, we do our operation. So having a building. Right. That would be fantastic for you guys. Mm-hmm. So you're a conductor. You're actually also a keyboardist, vocal coach, and performer. What is the most important piece of advice that you may give to your students or to anyone wishing to make a career in this music world? Well, you can't be weak-spirited. You really have to dedicate yourself, find your focus. Just what you enumerated in the various aspects I have found myself, both as a keyboardist, a conductor, uh, a coach. I even do some consulting on the side. Mm-hmm. I have spread my options mm-hmm. out so that at any one time, I probably will find some sort of employment. So my, my career has by and large been as an independent artist. Mm-hmm. So I know how hard it is, which is one of the reasons I have dedicated a good part of my um, career in Fort Wayne to supporting artists and figuring out a way that I can help them because I know how hard it is. Right. So I've just been lucky to have positions where I'm able to hire musicians, vocal and instrumental, on a regular basis, and in some small way help to contribute to their sustainability in our town. Mm -hmm. I wish I could do more. I always do. I think that may be why I'm as passionate about this plan as I am, because I think that may be a gift I can give back to Fort Wayne and to the just the wider performing arts field, Mm -hmm. an option for them to sustain their work and their mission more effectively. 
Right. The only advice I would give to students is to say that if you're passionate about something, go for it. Yeah. Uh, but it isn't going to be easy. When I first started, I did not have work as an artist, but I did everything I could to make sure I was active as an artist. So uh, for the first four years outside of graduate school, I was playing piano in a bar. <laughs> so and in a lobby of a hotel, which ultimately hired me, hired me to work in the catering department, hmm. not as an artist. But I found ways to be creative even in that. And right. because I was working for them, I had some pretty lucrative opportunities as a pianist. Mm -hmm. So I, I enjoyed that. That was great fun. But by and large, was not performing as an artist. Exactly. I was getting as much as I could. It did give me some great opportunities. That's how I met Luciano Pavarotti. Oh, man. Uh, he was an, a guest artist in Baltimore and was staying at the hotel. And one of the catering managers said to me, hey, would you like to uh, work this musician? I don't know what this guy's name. He wasn't even sure who he was talking oh, my about. Goodness. But he, he said that, you know, <laughs> you know, you're a keyboardist. Do you think you'd like to work this party? And I said, who was it? And he told me and I said, sure, I'd love to. Yeah. And so I had an entire weekend, three of the most amazing days I can I think probably my entire life. And that was only because I was working this strange little job <laughs> at the Hyatt Regency in Baltimore, Maryland, playing piano. So because they knew I was a musician, I think that opportunity just landed in my lap. So don't lose heart. Stay focused on the end result, mm -hmm. but do whatever you can along the way to keep active and focused on the, on the end result. Today, it may feel weird and unfortunate that you had to go, you know, work at a, <laughs> an odd job somewhere so that you could go dance all night long. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and you've done that. Yeah. You know, as in order for you to do what you're passionate about, mm -hmm. you sometimes have to work and use your other skills. Yes. <laughs> which, by the way, play into your ability to be the ultimate artist, right? Exactly. I did not realize it, but at the time, all the work I was doing for the Hyatt Regency mm -hmm. was make was refining some of my organizational skills and mm -hmm. some of my creativity. And then when I landed my first full-time job in music, in addition to taking a huge cut in pay because yep. catering, catering in, at least in, in this business climate at the Hyatt that time was rather lucrative, Yes, but wasn't what I wanted to do long-term. So when I actually moved into that more and more and more, I was finding ways to use what I had learned from the business of hospitality mm. that informed me how to be a better servant. So if, you know, somebody comes and says, would you do this concert for me? I actually knew how to manage that relationship and to make the, the buyer of what I was selling happy. Mm -hmm. So that's just called hospitality. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's basic information, but when you work in the hospitality field, you learn how to do that. Mm -hmm exceptionally well. Oh, yes. So I didn't know it at the time, but as I learned all, all along, I think those played very heavily into the artist I am today. Yeah, well, that's great advice and definitely reminds people to stay focused and stay driven and work toward their end goal. Just, that's right. What is your ultimate goal? And that whatever you find yourself doing today is going to be just one step toward that goal. Right. So as long as you keep your eye on the ball, you won't lose it. You just have to keep walking. Mm -hmm. And just it. gain skills along the way. Yep. Accept what you're learning at that moment. Mm -hmm. As we get into the rest of November and December, where and how can our listeners catch your performances? 
Well, one, we're going to be at the Fillmore in December. Our five-member ensemble is going to do a jazz pop program right here. And this is a great space, so we'll have reserved tables and food, drink, all sorts of fun. Mm -hmm. You can go to our website and order your tickets now, and please do, because the Fillmore is a lovely place, but there's limited seating. Correct. And we also have tickets available on the Fillmore on Broadway.com. Right. So you can go there. Of course, heartlandsings.org. Uh, is a great place to go uh, to see what's happening with mm-hmm. Harland. We are also active on social media, Facebook. Um, so if you want to find out what the latest event or something that might interest you, you need to follow us. That That's a huge way to keep track of what we're doing. Great. Mm-hmm. And then are there ways that uh, you guys engage the children of our community? Yes. Um, we partner regularly with the Fort Wayne Children's Choir. Oh, fun. Um, and in November... There is the Three Rivers Choral Festival that's organized by the Children's Choir, the music department at IPFW, and Heartland. We bring in a guest director, and so we have some uh, connection there with uh, the young vocal artists in our community. We also have a multi-tiered education program. Um, Probably the longest-running one is called Side by Side, Mm -hmm. and that unites young artists in performance on our stage in some cases uh, for, you know, for young vocal artists. So they're getting a professional level experience. And when they join us on our stage, Mm -hmm. they are paid just like the rest of the professionals. That's incredible. What an awesome opportunity. So that's a, that's a high end experience Mm -hmm. for, for advanced students. Um, We partner with schools in the area and we will actually do a program with them on their program Mm -hmm. or you know if if they're doing a spring concert and they want some help we'll go sing with them side by side and and assist them and train them we have an educational coordinator which if you're interested in those kinds of programs we can put you in touch with that person all you have to do is call heartland sings and the number's on the website but i can mention it here i suppose it's uh, area code two six zero four three six eight zero eight zero that's great so we'll have to check out those programs the upcoming festival in november and then the performance here at the fillmore on december 9th got one other big performance in december is at the courthouse oh okay it's called the spirit of christmas our latest recording was done there and it's a critically acclaimed recording i think everybody thinks it's an outstanding example of what you can do uh, in the way of recording in that space. Mm-hmm. And uh, if you've never been in the Allen County Courthouse, you're in for a, a double treat. This Which space, I have not. <laughs> well, it's absolutely gorgeous. It is, uh, it's on the uh, National Registry as, as a historic landmark. Mm-hmm. Um, and part of that is the scagliola that they have on the wall. Mm-hmm. It's, it's like a faux marble. Um, I'm not describing it as that, probably in detail as I can, but... Uh, suffice it to say that it was used as an option for the very expensive production of marble for the building. And it turned out now that it's probably one of the few existing examples of that craft. So now it's actually more expensive <laughs> uh, than, than say, if to replace the marble. Oh, that wow. would actually be more expensive just because it's not done as much anymore, if at all. That's incredible. So, I had know, no idea. There's actually a documentary that you can get off of our website mm-hmm. uh, that uh, we did on the making of the Spirit of Christmas recording mm-hmm. in that space. But we also, there's a huge segment in that documentary about the building. So you can learn more about the building and see some really good pictures too. 
Great. And you said the date of that performance was? Uh, it's the 17th and 18th of December. Fantastic. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. I learned a lot. I hope our listeners learned a lot and that they'll get the opportunity to come check you guys out within these upcoming months. Thanks, Mandy. appreciate the time. I hope that you enjoyed this episode. If this is your first time tuning in, check out additional episodes at art2heart, spelled out, dot buzzsprout.com. There you can find other interviews with local artists I always end my podcast with an inspirational quote or food for thought. Today's quote is by William Shakespeare. The earth has music for those who listen. And that's a wrap. Thanks for tuning in, everyone.